This episode of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK emanates from an undisclosed location. The strange part about it, though, is that um, I'm not, it's not that I'm not disclosing it. I don't know where I am and no one will tell me. Looks a bit like you got kicked out of your house, Tim. <laughs> on the well, land. Uh, it looks like the Super 8 on uh, Southwestern Boulevard. <laughs> Uh, Tim Graham and Friends is not coming to you from Graham Central Station, uh, but uh, the usual gang is here. Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein and Bronstein Associates, your personal injury sports writing uh, attorneys. Uh, I, I botched that. Uh, nobody, be nobody believes that you're uh, actually uh, an injury attorney, but you do work for Bronstein and Bronstein. And Matthew Fairbird. If you get hurt in a fall, you can give me a call. I'll answer. Okay. Because you're not doing anything else. Yeah, I mean, I answer the phone. Even when the warranty people call, I try to talk to them. And then <laughs> it usually doesn't get very far. But I don't ever ignore those calls anymore. It is nice to get called. Are you guys getting – I'm getting a lot of spam texts lately. And uh, I think I we got talked one about just yesterday. And I'm I getting... get one from the bills. It's not from the bills, but it's about bills paraphernalia. That's like the only one I get. It's annoying though. Wow, you must you're on a list somewhere about that. Yeah, I got one about like free cash now or something, uh, some garbage like that. But yeah, that I get like those. Sounds like a good deal. Yeah, I get those. I get a. Uh, I hate. I, I'm like Jonah. I always pick up the phone. The only time I don't is if it, usually they try to mimic your area code and it'll be like, you know, so if it says 978, I'm like, there's no important source that's calling me. Well, that's easy for Matt and me because we have outside, you know, I'm a 954 area code. So anytime I get a call from 954, I just hit dismiss. I feel like that's um, a little different though. Cause like 954 is like, I don't know. My thing is, even if it's like some random California number, I'm like, who did I send an email? Yeah, because it's somebody or, like, I might need for a story that I I called. I yeah, I've been doing that a lot in the last couple of days. I've I've I actually picked up a a call today from uh, GPS, wanting to know uh, you know something. And it was obviously as soon as, but they're clever enough to use three letters that are going to make me say. Wait, I, I, I like to know where I'm going. Did you Come get on. a quote? Don't tell me, tell me more about, tell me more about your, uh, about my GPS. Did you get an anecdote to add to your story? I, I didn't. No, no. You should quote the warranty robocall. <laughs> Find a way to work that quote into your story. And next one who calls me, I'm going to get their prediction on, uh, get a quote. <laughs> on, on Bill's Chiefs. <laughs> Ask him what they think uh, Mahomes is going to play. Um, what are you hearing about? Uh, forget my warranty. What are you hearing about Mahomes' concussion? <laughs> so we delayed uh, putting together a Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK uh, in part uh, because we it's difficult to analyze uh, this game unless we know for sure that Patrick Mahomes is playing and he – uh, was a limited participant in Wednesday's practice, but all signs are pointing to uh, the former NFL MVP and, and Super Bowl champion being available to the Chiefs on Sunday and the Bills 
not having the pleasure of facing Chad Henney, uh, who couldn't beat the Bills if he were playing at 2011 Chad Henney levels. I think he's uh, better now than he was then. He looked pretty good on Sunday. He had, had some moments. He looked good for all, all but one throw, didn't he? He was not good ever before. Uh, no. So, you know, so he was, like, yeah. So he was, yeah. I was Being horrendous for just a couple of plays is a big step up for Chad Henney. I, I wasted, I wasted a good portion of my life writing about Chad Henney when I was at ESPN because he was considered the future of the Dolphins organization. And of course, Mark Sanchez, I wrote about that. Tom Brady's Tom Brady, but you know, and then Ryan Fitzpatrick actually had, there was something worthwhile there. It was, a, it was fun, even though he wasn't very good, it was still fun. And then the Jets and the Dolphins had, you know, well, the Jets had fun Rex. Rex was fun at that point because he was new and his act hadn't worn thin yet. By the time he got to the bills, you know, we'd seen, it was like Don Rickles, uh, you know, still doing the same act that he did in the sixties. Um, at the Stardust um, by the time he became the Bills coach. And then, but anyways, then the Dolphins had Tony Sperano. Nice guy. I like Tony quite a bit, actually. We got along pretty well, but just nothing because he was, Bill Parcells was his boss and you didn't give anything to the media and you weren't supposed to be friendly with the media, even though Bill Parcells was always very friendly with if you if you knew if you knew how to how to act, get the access to him, um, I guess there's an irony there. Uh, but the quarterback Chad Henney just dull, just dull in every way. I mean, he was just robotic as a, had a robotic personality, uh, just so pedestrian as a quarterback, and he was supposed to be the future. I could not believe. When he scrambled for that first down at the end of the game, I, I have not been that surprised by a football play in a long, long time. I was like, what is he doing? He's not going to make it. And then he did. And then right well, after he didn't that, make it. Well, he didn't, didn't make it. But right after up. that, they fourth and one, not surprised that they went for it, but to throw it with Chad Henney was like, man, they got away with one there. But Kudos. Did you guys really think there was a possibility Chad Henney might be starting this game Sunday? No. Nah. For a little while during the game, I did. Not now. And yeah. well, I thought the NFL could intervene or be in play. You know, you're talking about an independent neurologist and the NFL, and it was the, the point was made and stories were written about it. Think of how far the NFL has come that two star quarterbacks, MVPs, were removed from their games uh, and didn't finish uh, in the playoffs in crucial moments. And I think that, and, and we, and it's viewed as good. It's not a, it wasn't really a controversy like, Oh my God, how can you not let that guy play? I think that's a huge transformation, not only in the league's thinking, but in the way fans think, because you saw Patrick Mahomes's wobbly legs and you thought, well, of course he's got to leave the game. Um, even if you're a Chiefs fan, you it, so anyways. Um, but Jonah, to, to answer your question, I thought that if that if once the NFL's involved in this, there's no real way to skirt it. I didn't. I don't think. I mean, I'm still 
I'm cynical enough to believe or cynical enough that I still would have been surprised if Patrick Mahomes didn't play, but I thought there was a possibility that Chad Henney might be stuck as the, as the quarterback. Yeah. I think during that game, you're thinking if you're a Bills fan, you almost were rooting for the chiefs at one point, because if Mahomes had a significant enough concussion, who do you want the chiefs with Chad Henney or the Browns that, you know, with their actual quarterback. So, um, once he was tweeting after the game and once Andy Reid came out and said he passed all the deals, you know, whatever that means, uh, clearly he didn't pass all of them. Otherwise he would have went back into the game, but um, it seemed to be trending this way. And then even today they, they had him out there for most of the, the reps initially listed him as a full participant, then as a limited participant, it seems to be trending toward uh, him playing, which is good. You know, you want the superstar quarterbacks, on the field uh, for your most important games as Colin Coward was uh, pleading with the NFL to delay the game, delay the game until Patrick Mahomes is ready, which is like, all right, relax. But point stands of you want these championship games with the superstar players. Well, no, I mean, that's just why I think I agree with you, Tim. They do have, processes in place to prevent teams in the league from and players themselves from making the wrong decision in spite of themselves. But I think one way or the other, whether it was the main policy or some sneaky backup policy, Patrick Mahomes was going to get cleared to play this game no matter what. Well, there's also this other possibility too of Patrick Mahomes having a symptom and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, look, this guy is young enough or he's rich enough that even at his age, he already owns a piece of the Kansas City Royals. This guy has so much money. He's already won a Super Bowl. And I'm not, I'm not saying that this guy's not competitive. I'm just saying that it's a possibility. What if, he, what if tomorrow and he, he has a headache? And he might be the type of guy who says, I have a headache. And I don't know if I want to risk my health, even though it is uh, such an important game. What, what, if he simp- what if he does have a setback and is honest about it? Yeah, he could. Um, you know, the interesting thing about it is that the injury, as it's been analyzed from every freeze frame, is now being talked about almost like an MMA injury where he was like sort of choked out for a second. They hit a particular nerve. Um, but, yeah, there's – you don't know – what he's going to feel like, how he's going to respond. That's the hardest part about concussions. If you're not the one that's his doctor and that's his, you know, somebody who's treating him to know what he's going to feel like tomorrow or on Friday or yeah, what he's going to report and what he's not going to report because there is a certain amount of this protocol that relies on players reporting their symptoms. So he seemed, uh, chipper at practice and the videos they shared they seemed confident but chad henney was the one who spoke to the media today so it adds a little intrigue i mean i, I do think it's interesting uh, to hear the responses or even that the questions need to be asked really but i mean you have to ask it as a as a journalist because it is the story of the week but preparing does it make it difficult to prepare for this game no we prepare for patrick mahomes and if he doesn't play, we don't have to worry that we didn't Fire prepare up. for Chad any. <laughs> you know, it's, 
it's not a preparation thing. You know, the, the talent drops off so much that we have prepared for Chad Henney because we prepared for a lot better than Chad Henney. How much of that game might the Chiefs play where maybe they know Patrick Mahomes is going to play, maybe even the independent neurologist is ready to clear him, but they keep him on that edge of the concussion protocol just to keep him on the injury report and make it seem like he might not play up until the last moment when they have to make that decision. Yeah, I guess there, I guess there would the only benefit that I would see to that, and maybe you guys have a have something that will pop up, and, and maybe there's another one, but is a psychological thing if you're a Bills player of a letdown. Like, let's get the Bills hope. Let's give them even a two percent thought that Chad Henney might play. And it's not about preparation. It's just about, oh, we are gonna destroy Chad Henney. We're gonna sack him five times. We're gonna get a couple of picks. Um, there are guys on this Bills team that were watching Chad Henney be awful when they were in grade school. I mean, this guy's been around the league a lot, playing a lot of mediocre football because he's competent backup, I suppose. But And then in warm-ups, seeing – you know, you hear the stories all the time about seeing something in warm-ups that kind of takes the spirit out of you. In fact, I was just talking uh, with a former Bills player uh, a little bit ago about the, that Raiders game, that 51-3 to Raiders playoff game in which it's become – part of the Bills legend that these the Raiders come in from LA and they're out there, you know, prepping for this game and in, in in frosty Orchard Park and the Bills aren't wearing sleeves. And they're like, oh my God. And then the, there's quotes from those Bills players of, you know, we saw it in their eyes right then. We knew we'd beat them. And like, no, you probably beat them because you're really good, number one. And they knew going into that game you were they were going to get their asses beat or you know they probably didn't have much chance to win. And then that little extra edge is, well, shit, um, keep that bus running, you know, keep it warm in there. But, yeah, I guess there's a psycho. So, yeah, I do think there probably would be a psychological element to that if you're the Bills and you've got, God damn it, we just can't, we can't catch a break. We're going to have to play this guy after all. Another small parallel, maybe in an opposite way, but that game that you mentioned, that championship game, Bo Jackson gets hurt the week before. He's walking off the field. And it was L.A. at the time after they beat the Bengals saying, I'm playing next week. You'll see me in Buffalo. He never plays a game again. I don't remember if he got ruled out midweek or not, but maybe the Raiders walking out there seeing the Bills not afraid of the cold and Bo Jackson's didn't get on the plane as a psychological. Right. Yeah, that might have something to do with it, too. Well, there's Willis Reed also. I mean, that's the most famous pregame psych job of all time. You know, people talk about, oh, Willis Reed hobbling out and – Oh my God. And I think that a lot of people imagine that Willis Reed played that game and scored 24 points. No, Willis Reed, I think scored the first basket of the game. I think maybe he had four points or something, something nominal, but it was the whole idea that I'm sorry, Jonah, who's the, who's the opponent there? Was it? I think it was the Lakers and Will Chamberlain, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh shit, Willis Reed's going to play. And he was totally, inconsequential to the box score, but there was a psychological element. Yeah. Just Something about him. him taking the tip was yeah. all they needed to – they just needed the tip. <laughs> Don't we all? Uh, what? Are, so, all right, let's – we've probably talked about Chad Henney too much. Uh, what do we so. think of this game? Yeah. What do we think – the Bills uh, – I'll just give a quick – my quick overview – uh, I think that the Bills are not the same team that lost to the Chiefs in week six. They are much better on both sides of the ball. Um, 
that said, what do you guys? Uh, what are your thoughts on this this matchup? I think I think you're right. The the Bills are a much better team than they were back in Week Six. As I was digging through the stats and and it should be said, the Chiefs don't look as sharp. They're not as well. I wouldn't necessarily say they don't look as sharp. I would just say that they look they don't look any more sharp. You know, they look they haven't peaked. You know, the peak might have been back then. They you know they they haven't progressed at the same rate that the Bills have. And since that game, from week seven to week seventeen, the Bills were almost or no, were a little more than a touchdown per game better in point differential. Um that's a pretty massive difference. The Bills had the best point differential in football from week seven to week 17 um, at over 13 points per game differential and the, the Chiefs were right in the six points per game differential. Chiefs haven't won by more than six points since November 1st when they played the Jets. So yeah, I guess you probably could say that they're not quite playing as well as they were in week six. They're not as sharp. And I think there are a lot of factors that, I mean, this is a completely different game than the Baltimore game, you know, rather than an option attack with a run heavy team, you're dealing with a spread team and uh, very much a pass happy approach. Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are better than any playmakers the Ravens had outside of their quarterback. Um, so those two things, you know, have to be taken into account. Clyde Edwards, Alaire put up a buck 60 on these guys the first time around but I think the kind of like last week, I'm more intrigued by Steve Spagnuolo. Um, you know, like I was with Wink Martindale last week, what he's going to do to stump Josh Allen and slow this team down because Josh Allen probably played his worst game of the year against the Chiefs back in Week Six. Was still still dealing with the shoulder a little bit, but Spagnuolo had him guessing, and they limited Stephon Diggs to 46 yards, uh, one of his worst games of the season. So. That's the the part of this matchup that's interesting. There's going to be a lot of of Andy Reid versus Sean McDermott um, talk, um, which is fun. Uh, but what Spagnolo does to Brian Dable uh, might be just as interesting. It was Game Seven of the 1970 NBA Finals: Knicks over the Lakers. Willis Reed four points, three rebounds, one assist in 27 minutes. Uh, and the Lakers lose by 14 points. Um, it was not Willis Reed. Um, anyway, so I'm sorry. Uh, Jonah, your thoughts on Sunday? Oh, I was thinking about Walt Clyde Frazier there. I got a little bit distracted. Well, I'd say Matt just made a good point is he about – mink- Is he wearing a mink coat when you think of Willis Reed? Or, yeah, or always. Clyde Frazier, or is and, it he- – And uh, Puma suede shoes. Right. But, um, well, Jer- if we had Gerald Dixon on like we, we normally do on these podcasts, he'll tell us it's all about the matchups, and he'll break down the matchups. And Matt had mentioned a few of those that will be key on Sunday. But I think more of the ancillary factors and uh, the Bills playing these last two playoff games at home with the 7,000 fans, 6,000 fans that were there, it seemed to give them so much spirit and play like we know the Bills tend to do at home. I always – think you know I never pick against I never like to pick against the Bills at home because they seem to play like a much different team in that stadium and that happened even with a smaller crowd now Arrowhead's another stadium the loudest stadium in the league a place where there is a tremendous home field advantage in most seasons 
I don't know with the smaller crowd if that gets lessened as much. We're hearing a lot of talk about how 6,000 sounds like 60,000 in all these stadiums, and maybe that's with some of the piped-in crowd noise along with the real fans. It's just as loud as it normally is. But I think the combination of the Bills not being home and losing some of their home field edge and then having to go play in a very difficult road environment that the Kansas City normally has a big-time home field advantage could change the balance of as well as the Bills have been playing the last couple weeks. Uh, Can they hit that level on the road in a more challenging environment? And the other thing is the weather. Uh, The cold rain that they had when they played in Orchard Park earlier this season really seemed to hurt Josh Allen. I don't think he played very well in the limited weather conditions that were in the stadium on Saturday against the Ravens. And I'm looking at a report. I don't know how bad it's going to be, but there is some rain in the forecast for Sunday in Kansas City. How will that affect Josh Allen and the Bills' passing attack and ability to throw the ball in the rain? Yeah, great points. Um, I think the high is 50 degrees um, on Sunday, what I saw, but the low is somewhere in the 30s, night game, so there is some rain. Um, It could be a factor. 17,000 fans, too, by the way. This is not – 6,700. They can have 17,000 at Arrowhead. It'll be interesting to see how many Bills fans are there. Um, I don't think that Chiefs fans uh, will take this game for granted. It's not like when the Bills went to their four straight Super Bowls and some of those playoff games were blacked out because they didn't sell out. Uh, In fact, the comeback game was blacked out. That was not shown on TV. Uh, But that said, limited number of tickets. Uh, I think that Chiefs uh, euphoria is still in full swing. But maybe the money's too too big to pass up because you know the market is going to be able – if you were in doubt of going to that game, if you're then you're going to make a lot of money on these tickets because Bills fans are going to come in. They're going to look for tickets on the secondary market. They're going to try to get in the game. Even if they don't have tickets, they're going to be here – um, they were up over 1400 bucks a pop last I checked. Wow. So yeah, it's a, it's a good way to make a living, uh, in this economy. I, I think I'd jump on it in the <laughs> secondary market. Like, yeah. Yeah. If you're, you couldn't a, even yeah, have that team, here. You saw them win a Super Bowl already. You probably are a season ticket holder to have these tickets to begin with. You went through the ride last year or whatever. Okay. I can make a couple of bucks, uh, in, uh, in, Let's say that there's a, a pay for your season problem. tickets next year. Sure. And there's pay probably for your Super Bowl a, trip. Maybe. Unfortunately, there's probably a, a significant percentage of these fans who have had uh, financial impact from the pandemic and with their jobs and whether it be even being employed or losing revenues or whatever it be, it might be a good way to, to recoup a little bit from the pandemic. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how many Bills fans descend upon uh, Kansas City. Uh, do, you think, uh, do you think Josh Allen uh, has gotten beyond all of those jitters that we used to talk about? You know, we saw it in the second half last year against the Houston Texans in the playoffs. We would see it again in big games. Like uh, you would, you could tell that he was a totally different quarterback at the start of a game, like when he was playing Tom Brady and the Patriots, uh, as opposed to towards the end of games. He'd seem to finally get looser. Um, 
But do you think he's, he seems to have figured it out. He's had big games. He's had prime time games. He's, this is now going to be his fourth playoff game. He went against a former MVP last week. Um, he has done well against marquee quarterbacks. Um, he, that was a problem. We did that story earlier in the year at The Athletic about Josh Allen and how few uh, Super Bowl or Pro Bowl quarterbacks he'd beaten in his career. He went through a whole bunch of them this year and with victories. Um, but where are we in terms of our, our – are we set there? Do we think that's gone in, 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 the, in, um, in the rearview mirror? Or is that something that we should be keeping an eye out for on Sunday? I think the one part about it that I don't know because we haven't seen a whole lot is I think part of it, and this was sort of a hypothesis earlier in the season, the idea that the the stadium was empty was helping Josh Allen because I don't know if it's nerves or, or what. I don't think it is. I think it's more of like getting too excited, getting too amped up. And that not necessarily being the good headspace to be in as a quarterback. And we and still think, see it on occasion. We saw it, you know, in the Rams game. We saw it, you know, with uh, the the unsportsmanlike conduct yeah. penalty and things like that. So, you know, even in the Ravens game, how much of it was wind, how much of it wasn't. He played a fine game, you know, given the conditions and given the defense he was up against. But he had two fumbles the last two weeks. And... I mean, we say it all the time, you know, you put the ball on the ground. It, I think it's a 50-50 play at that point. Both of them went their way. But if they didn't, you know, those are plays that swing this game, you know, against an offense that can that can make you pay for it. So sometimes the story of whether he's over it, you know, is we kind of swing too much to the results. It's like, well, he didn't do this. He didn't do this. It's like be talking about a much different story if Daryl Williams doesn't pick up that fumble and Phillip Rivers goes down and scores a game-winning touchdown. Then all offseason, it's about Josh Allen coughing up the game. Now, he had no right. control over it at that point. He essentially did cough up. He put the game on the ground, and Daryl Williams picked it up. So is he completely over it? I don't know. I think the way he played in that Colts game, was he was the reason they won. Um, he was pretty – Calm, cool, collected. And that fumble against the Colts wasn't necessarily recklessness. That was just one of those plays that happens. Both of them were. Both of them were. Same with Baltimore. Just a sack fumble. Strip sack. There's nothing you can do. They weren't the the play against Houston where he's trying to lateral it or do you know throw it into into triple coverage. Um, What those types of things where he lose seemed to seem to lose his head for three straight series. and there's not lots of – he's not putting the ball in harm's way the way he would even at points earlier in the season where he said, well, he, he didn't have any interceptions, but, man, he came close a couple times. He wasn't really putting the ball in harm's way the last two weeks. So I think he's mostly over it. This is going to be a bigger crowd than he's seen all season. It's going to be the first road crowd of the postseason. So that – I think that element is more of a, a nerve-wracking thing or a, you know – a thing that could get him amped up. And the other part of it is Steve Spagnolo just really stumped him last time. They don't have a talented defense in Kansas city. I don't think they're strong top to bottom, but 
they got a good guy pulling the strings and calling the plays. And he, and they're versatile. And they move around. They disguise. They do what, you know, he and Sean McDermott come from the same tree. They do a lot of the same things. And I think he seems to know Josh Allen pretty well. Uh, he seems to have a pretty good idea about how to stop him. Tyron Matthew is a, a guy that can really hurt you with a big play. They got a couple pass rushers that can get after you. So that's, you know, a bigger story in the game. I think that Bill's defense now has the chops to slow down the, the Chiefs a little bit. But can Josh Allen keep up in a shootout? Um, well, that's important because I think one thing we haven't seen a lot of from Josh Allen this year, and this is a credit to the Bills' overall strength, is playing from behind and having to keep up with an opposing quarterback who's really slinging and putting drives together, and they have to go touchdown for touchdown. And the few times we did see him need to really do that against Tennessee and Kansas City, it didn't go so well. So I do wonder if some of the old Josh Allen trying to do too much would only come out in those situations when he had to press. It reminds me of a basketball player, I won't use his name, but when things get got hairy, he'd go to the coach and he'd go, I'm just going to go self. I'm just going to do this all by myself. And the coach would say no, but that was what he does. And that was – I think Josh Allen had a lot of that in him before and has suppressed those instincts very well this season, but maybe they come out when he's under stress if the Bills are losing in the second half and he has to score points in a hurry. Who was that basketball player? John nah, I'm not going to use his name right now, but it was a story. It's one of my favorite stories I heard somewhat recently, but he, his favorite play was self. When things weren't going well, he would say, I'm just going to go self, coach. And there was nothing you could say to him. He was, he was going self. What level are we talking about here? A junior college. It was a Niagara Community a College basketball player, which a is a little bit college, of a different and you're thing. At, yeah, junior college. You want to blow the guy up? because Protecting uh, his source. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the fact that uh, the, the Chiefs' backfield has changed uh, since the last game. Um, Thoughts on the run game, Kansas City, and what they can do against the Bills' defense? I think they can – I don't think they're going to run for 200 again, um, unless Sean McDermott gives them his blessing like he did last time. Uh, you know, he, he let them have the, that those 200 yards. Um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire looks like he's going to be able to play in this game, and – that's enough, I think, to give them a little bit of a jolt uh, in a backfield that, that kind of needed one. But it's still a, a Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill offense. Uh, they're the big show. And I think you, you focus on Hill first, probably, because they limited him to three catches for 20 yards the first time around. And they did a pretty good job against this defense. You know, they, they lost the game and, you know, weren't particularly close to winning it. But it wasn't as if the Chiefs offense dominated them. Now, I also don't think you can just sit back and let them run for 200 yards because the passing game was never stressed last time. Patrick Mahomes threw 21 for 28, threw for two touchdowns. When he needed to throw, he threw it and completed it. Um, they had this idea that, oh, we're going to limit the big play and not let Patrick Mahomes throw, and they can just run all day. Well, as a result of that, you know, when Patrick Mahomes did want to throw, he did it just fine. So – I'll be interested to see what they change this time around because I don't think they're going to let them run for 200 yards like they did, but um, at what cost? Yeah, I, the, 
the theory that the Chiefs were holding Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out uh, until this game, I, I don't buy into that. I think that he, if he would have been on the field, uh, had he been ready to play because it's the playoffs and you use everybody. So whatever, you know, the injury that he's coming back from is significant enough that there should be a question as to how much he's going to be able to produce. Um, he hasn't played in a month. There'll be what? It'll be seven weeks. No, what? Uh, what'll it be? I'm trying to think of what's, what's the date of that game. The date is the 24th. So it's 24 days, 30. Yeah. Almost six weeks uh, that he hasn't played. And, um, but yeah, he did have 26 carries, 161 yards the last time they played. I don't recall what he did in the, in the, in terms of catching the ball. Did he have a big game? Not a big game. I think he had like 20 yards or something, a few catches. Uh, Oh, I see it here. I'm sorry. Four, four catches for eight yards. Okay. So no damage in the passing game. Um, but yeah, if he, if he's available and he's, and he's healthy, then that's a, that's a big problem. Um, I'm just a little skeptical as to what he's going to be able to add to the. Yeah, he had what hip and ankle injuries. Yeah, I, believe I mean it it's, was. he hasn't played since uh, the Saints game in Week 15, which doesn't sound like a long time ago, Week 15. But um, part yeah, of me when I hear Week 15, I think second to last game because of 16 games. But no, there's a bye, so 17, and then we're in the third round of the playoffs. So yeah. It's been several weeks since the guys uh, taken a hit. Yeah, they're they're fairly banged up. I think Sammy Watkins missed their last game. He should be back, but um, even with Patrick Mahomes, you know that he's in the protocol, but he also had a toe injury in that game. And you know he's a guy that likes to move around and escape the pocket and make plays when things break down. So I think. Health-wise, the Bills are, are at an advantage here. They've got, you know, comparatively speaking, uh, much less to worry about on the injury front than the Chiefs do. Hey, Jonah, if uh, Bronstein and Bronstein, your sports journalism injury attorneys, are ever thinking about any mergers or acquisitions, uh, they should contact CTBK. CTBK, that's Shampo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century, that's 25 years, right, of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. They've been doing it since the last time the Bills were in the AFC Championship game. It's a long time, as we've learned. You know, I wrote that story about Bills Mafia last week, and I know that there are a lot of people, you know, people my age, I'm 49, who now look back and say, you know, 12th man. I mean, no, I mean, 12th man, that's memories. That's nostalgia. I remember 12th man. But then I went back to when I was a kid and I would think what 25 years ago was. And that was like Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle, you know, when I was, 
25 years before I was a sports fan was ancient history. So if you were a Bills fan in 94, their fourth Super Bowl year, and you went back 25 years, everything's still in black and white. There are some guys in the league who don't even have face masks on their helmets. Um, the Bills barely have a team. They're like a brand new team. Yeah, they were four years. They were winning their second of uh, back-to-back AFL titles. Um, you know, there were – I'm trying to think of some of the examples. Big Macs didn't exist yet. Um, Do those just, count just, AFL titles? Uh, they are considered NFL-ish titles because they were – they then merged. So, yeah, there are – so this won't be if they win. It won't be the first Buffalo. You know that's a great question because the AFL stats count in as NFL stats. But if you talk about the NFL champion from 1965, it's not there aren't co-champions. There's an NFL champion and an AFL champion. But I don't the think AFL no. was considered lesser. Yes, but the stats champion. still count. But the stats count. So if but no, you're not an NFL you. They mer- so you those are NFL stats, and if you went to an AFL All Star game, they called them. You are considered a Pro Bowler. Um, then there was the one year where the Bills, as the AFL champions, played their All Star game. They represent the whole team represented the 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 AFL as against the college All Stars. I think it was. So every member of the Bills team was is a Pro Bowler. You can see if you go to Pro Football Reference, you can see that everybody who played in the '65 is a Pro Bowl, uh, Pro Bowler, using finger quotes. Um, but the champion part of it, I've never once seen an AFL champion referred to as like a even an asterisk NFL type champion. There's probably an official ruling on this, and uh, I feel like out. most people in Buffalo would say that these bills are trying to capture the first championship in Buffalo sports history, right? Not true. I don't know. Not if they're old enough, I think, to remember those AFL championships. No, I just Not had a conversation that old, but people that recently are. with uh, Booker Edgerson, the former Bills cornerback. Uh, he's on the Wall of Fame. And he made the point, he was laughing as he said it. You know, so people talk about the, the Jim Kelly years, the, pro, the Super Bowl years, and the best teams in Bills history. And he said, if you were to be a true champion, like even if you can say you're the AFC champion, he said to be a true champion, you have to win your last game. And there were only two two teams in Bill's history that were champions that won their last game. Those AFL teams? Yeah, 64 and 65. You know, a nice bit of <laughs> symmetry here. And it's – Jonah? Well, I, I, I thought the computer froze. But, <laughs> but you know – 27 years ago was when the Bills and the Chiefs played in the AFC Championship game. That was the last time the Bills had been in that game, and it was, it was a home game against the Chiefs. 27 years prior to that, they played in the AFL Championship game for the right to see who would go to the first Super Bowl. So that, you know, every 27 years, I guess these two teams play for a Super Bowl spot in the line, and if it's a rotation, this is the Chiefs' turn. Look forward to 2048. This is the rubber match. Um, oh, I know. I knew that there was something I was, I thought it was something I was going to say, and that's not true. Uh, Matt, come up with a, uh, a clever point while I look up what the ruling is on NFL championships. 
Well, I just don't know. I, I feel like most of the people that I talk to don't consider those championships. Now they're championships in the, the sense of the word, but uh, people start counting those with Super Bowls, you know, because people can say that they don't have any Super Bowls. Um, so I don't know. I don't know where people stand on that. But. There are banners hanging in the uh, Bills facility that uh, for the AFL championships. Well, it's a championship, but it's not an NFL championship. It's not considered on par or. Yeah, it's know, not the ultimate, the ultimate prize. It's not the big one. And the Bills are trying to get to the big one this Sunday. So I think my ruling is no. They count, but not for not for sports. You know, when people talk about how many championships a city has won, I don't think those count. We should probably ask Milt Northrop, who was maybe in his first year at the Buffalo News when some of these championships were run and could break it down for us. Keep talking. I'm reading. I'm, I'm researching. <laughs> that was my best line. I, well, I, I heard. Follow and, that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, how am I supposed to follow that up? Saying, "Yeah, you're right." Mill told. <laughs> Nailed it. Yep. Mill's been around. What do we think? Do we think Ralph Wilson and Lamar Hunt consider those AFL championships on par with NFL championships? Maybe I'll ask Sean McDermott on Friday. Maybe I'll ask Lamar Hunt the next time we talk to him. <laughs> Say, Sean, do you think your franchise has any championships? you think those AFL ones count? I don't know. So if you uh, – before the Super Bowl, before the merger – Right, so this is a little bit of info. But before the merger, which would have been for Super Bowl five, those four Super Bowls, there was considered an AFL and an NFL champion, regardless of who won the game. So the Chiefs were still the AFL champion. Uh, the Raiders in Super Bowl two, the or whoever I'm I'm losing track. But then the the Colts or the um, the Jets in Super Bowl four, the so. The Colts, even though they lost to the Jets, are in Super Bowl three. Um, the Colts are still considered the NFL champion that year, but not the Super Bowl champion. Hmm. Hmm. So the Super Bowl was considered a totally separate game, almost like a, an, I don't want to say an exhibition, but it didn't determine whether or not you were the NFL or AFL champion. Like a bowl game. There's got to be a. There's got to be called it a bowl, right? I can find on this that tells me exactly what the what the official ruling on it is. So I think it's it's just a personal decision, Tim. Like you know, for each fan individually, do you want right? Like with the Negro League, (laughs) do you want to count these as your as your uh, championship? If about whether right sleep better at night, then that's fine, but. How about the Pro Football Hall of Fame in which they consider USFL stats but not CFL stats? It's the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But USFL stats are not adapted into and not considered part of your NFL statistics. But in terms of whether or not you belong in the Hall of Fame, you know, they give credit to Steve Young or Jim Kelly or Reggie White. But not not Warren Moon's performance in the 
with the Edmonton Eskimos, or for that matter, Doug Flutie would probably or might be a Hall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Famer if you include his CFL stats. Wasn't that considered part of Warren Moon's case? I think I read that today in an article about Philip Rivers. That it was not. It was not. I don't think the statistics were considered part of his case, but his, the fact that he was not. A, he, it was considered you know, racial bias that he wasn't given the opportunity to play for so long. Therefore, can you imagine what his numbers would be like if he did play those years in the NFL? And even if you don't, his NFL body of work in and of itself was damn impressive. So I think that's the way they, they got around that one. And he won five CFL championships. We should call him up and ask him if those count. Well, those are great cups. Yeah, it's a gray area. It's a cup. He gets a, he's got a trophy for it, which I guess the AFL champions probably do as well. And so do the AFC champions for that matter. Now, you think the Hall of Fame is going to count XFL and AAF stats? Probably not. I'm, I'm giving think, away my disclosed location, my undisclosed location a little bit by saying this, but uh, they were talking uh, on Cleveland Sports Radio regarding Clay Matthews and whether or not he belongs in the Hall of Fame. And it's funny because the two hosts of the show, I got the impression maybe they knew Clay Matthews uh, because they were, oh, absolutely, absolutely, he's a Hall of Famer. And it was such a stark difference to Bills fans because if you mention, if you call, if somebody said, is Kyle Williams a Hall of Famer, I think that most Bills fans, even though he's not a Hall of Famer, they would be like, yeah, put him in the Hall of Fame. Put, you know, all these people, they want everybody's in the Hall of Fame. And it was a shutout of callers calling in Browns fans saying, no, he wasn't a hall of famer. It was just funny to listen to. There's um, a close parallel. I think they played in roughly the same era that if Clay Matthews is a hall of famer, I think Cornelius Bennett is a hall of famer. And I think they're both on that same level of just below the cut. Yeah. Clay Matthews. And I grew up a Browns fan. I never watched him and thought I was looking at a legend. Um, played a long time. He wasn't even, you know, he and the, one of the cases that was made by one of the hosts, and I almost called in, which, you know, but the, the one of them, one of them said uh, every year he played with the Bills, however many years it was, 112. Um, he was their best defensive player. And I could think of, you know, like maybe, you know, maybe he was a handful of years, but they had Hanford Dixon, Frank Minifield, Michael Dean Perry. I mean, they had a ton of super good Chip Banks, uh, who was a great linebacker for a while before he went to the Colts. Um, anyways, just looking up Clay Matthews. I don't even know if he – he was a four-time Pro Bowler, which back when he played, Pro Bowls weren't as easy to get into, the, into today. But he was never an All-Pro. He was never one of the NFL's best linebackers. Um, now, granted, he also played at a time when there was – um, Mike Singletary and Lawrence Taylor and all, but that's the standard. And if, I mean, it, I don't know. I mean, he played, he played a position, Jack Ham. I mean, there's just so many outside linebackers that you take a look at and be like, I don't know. Anyways, yeah, I, don't, I, don't I think he's know. like the Harold Baines of football players. Harold Baines does not belong in the baseball hall of fame, but he played 112 years, uh, Got a bunch of counting stats that look – even by his counting stats. I mean, he's not a 500 home run guy. But anyway, Harold Baines gets in. So I guess if Harold Baines can be in the Baseball Hall of Fame, maybe Clay Matthews can be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I don't know. Then Frank Orr will get in. 
Well, I think Frank Gore is going to get in anyway. It's a strange case, but he's got so many yards. Um, I don't, I don't know. I did that story um, when he got into third place last year and I called up a bunch of hall of fame running backs and they were like, yeah, we're looking forward to having him here next. So of course he's a hall of famer. And that was uh, um, Terrell Davis, Floyd Little, uh, OJ Simpson. Uh, who else? I interviewed four, four yeah. Hall of Fame running Walter backs. Walter Payton's kid. Walter Payton's son. That's right. Yeah, Walter Payton's son, who played with Frank Gore at the at, at Miami uh, University. What do you University think? Cornelius of Bennett. University of Miami. I always get those mixed up. Cornelius Bennett. His Hall of Fame case, because he does uh, have an All Pro season, five Pro Bowl seasons, and played in five Super Bowls. My, my thought with Cornelius Bennett is with a lot of bills who aren't in yet. And this includes Steve Tasker, who I, who I, I would like to, I, I think, I don't think that he should be limit. He should be ruled out because he's a special teamer. And if he's the greatest special teamer of all time, then put him in there. Um, and he, and he may be, so I'm not against Steve Tasker. He can be but in, in the special teams hall of fame. Well, Ray, if Ray guys in the hall of fame, then Steve Tasker can be in the hall of fame. Perhaps. Um, I don't think Ray Guy should be in the Hall of Fame, but yeah, that's but that's he's in. Point. I yeah, think Justin Tucker this- ruined his Hall of Fame case last weekend. If I'm all, if I'm you know esteemed enough to have a vote when he comes up for selection, and I'm in the room, I'm going to be like, nope. I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was there when I he was missed at two field goals. He's um, no good. But my thought with Bills players and. Um, I've said this before, and that it's changed a little bit over time because, but I used to, and I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. So, how many Hall of Famers do they have in? Uh, the owner, uh, and I'm not talking all, I'm talking, let's talk about the Super Bowl. If the Bills don't go to four straight Super Bowls, Ralph Wilson's not in the, you know, that's a big part of the reason Ralph Wilson's in the Hall of Fame. Marv Levy, Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reed, Bruce Smith, James Lofton. So that's seven. Is Polian in? Yeah. Polian, right. the general manager. Eight. Okay. They didn't win a Super Bowl. Granted, yes, they went to four straight. The New England Patriots of the early 2000s, three Super Bowl wins in four years. How many players from those teams are going to get in the Hall of Fame? All right. So you can count the owner, you know, the whole thing. So Kraft and Belichick, Brady. Ty Law. He's already in, right? Did he get in? I thought he got in. Richard Seymour. Seymour's a finalist right now. Here's the Richard Seymour's one. Vinatieri. Um, The thing is that they didn't play in all of them. Like Ty Law's in. Ty Law's in already. Okay. So that's where that's one of those ones where the the numbers have changed over the years. About like Rodney Harrison, is he in? He is not. Um. Yeah. So t- yeah. So you have Bru- you're going to put Teddy Bruschi in there? That's like the no. Teddy Bruschi like, is right. That's like Randy Matthews. Moss. Do we count Randy Moss? Well, Randy Moss didn't win a Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. Okay. Um, so what about the Patriots Curtis, win Curtis three Martin? out of four, and they're going to have fewer Hall of Famers than the Bills who did who, who didn't win a Super Bowl. Well, that's to me like. And people know, like, want to add Ken Hall and Steve Tasker and Cornelius Bennett. So now we're up to 10 Hall of Famers from a team that didn't win a Super Bowl. 
that's what I think is the problem with like the Steve Tasker and the, the Cornelius Bennett is like, I don't know, Richard Seymour is probably a, a more impressive case than, than Cornelius Bennett. And then like, I don't know what is the glaring difference between a Steve Tasker and like a Teddy Bruschi or like a Troy Brown, you know, I, I think a lot of people automatically default to greatest special teamer ever. And maybe right. he is, but like, the people who say that now, like if somebody from that coached in that era and coached special teams for the last 25 years wants to tell me that that's fine. But a lot of the people who say that couldn't tell me who the best special teams player is on the bills right now. So it's like, I find that to be kind of a weird thing when it's like default. He was like, nobody's been better in the last 25 years. Right. Matthew Slater. Might he get right. into the Hall of Fame as uh, as a special teamer? Well, if Tasker does, that'll open the door. For He's a got like more All Pro nods as a special teamer than Steve Tasker. I think I don't. I don't know if it's a open. There he is, though. That Steve Tasker is the greatest special teams player ever. He's he's in the conversation. Well, that's why I would tell era, you he probably was. But I don't I think tell that you I don't know. He's a Hall of Famer. Like. I would just tell you, I don't know. Like, I don't know if he's the best special teams player of all time. I have no idea who the best special teams player is in the NFL right now. I know who, you know, Heath Farwell would tell me, or I know who, you know, a few random scouts might say is a really good special teamer. But if if you can't tell me who's the best special teamer in the NFL right now and why, then I'm not sure I want to listen to you tell me that Steve Tasker is the greatest special teamer of all time. Because over the last 30 years, you know, I think Dante Hall was a pretty damn good special teamer. I think Devin Hester was a pretty great special teamer. Yeah, um, Josh Pribbs. So, you know, was he the best gunner of all time? Maybe, but like, says who and why is, is and I that, guess is my point. We default to this argument and nobody ever touches it because Steve's a great guy, uh, does a lot for the community and was a damn good player. He wasn't, you know, a bad player by any means, but I think we default to this argument that you can't prove with numbers. You can't, nobody can really, if you say it, you're not afraid anybody's going to argue with it, especially if you have a 716 area code. So I don't know. That's where well, like the people that are like, it's no doubt he should be in is like, eh, relax. Like let's, let, I don't know. That's just my, my two cents. I've had this debate with a lot of Bills fans, and that's the only card they can play is that he's the best special teams player and the best at what he does belongs in the Hall of Fame. But one, I just – even if he is the best gunner, punt blocker in the history of the game of football, I don't think that's enough for a Hall of Fame case. I watched a video on YouTube. It's 106 Steve Tasker highlights. It's every play he's ever made in his career, including offensive catches and stuff. And it breaks down on special teams to like four, five, six plays a year. And I just don't think – and that, that includes everything, a tackle, a downing the ball at the one. And I just don't think that amounts to a Hall of Fame career. It's a very good contributor on that team, a, hall, a wall of famer, but not a Hall of Famer. Heath Farwell told me earlier this year, and I feel like I believe him because, you know, it's what he does for a living. He said in the offseason he gave Brandon Bean a list. They said, you know, they wanted the special teams to be better, and he gave them a list and, you know, Brandon Bean said, tell me who is the best and we'll go get him. And Tyler Matakevich was at the top of Heath Farwell's list. Future Hall of Famer. I mean, I, I occasionally will look for him because I wrote a story about him and, you know, I, I, I you know, I watched 
watched him for a while as I was writing the story, but like there were comments on that story. Like, man, I had no idea who this guy was. Like I thought he was a for sure cut candidate because he couldn't crack the starting lineup as a linebacker, yada, yada. So I don't know the same people that are telling, telling you that Steve Tasker is the best special teams player of all time, because that's what somebody told them in the newspaper 25 years ago. And they've been repeating it over and over and over and over and over again. They take it to be true, but they don't notice the best special teamer on their own team. So um, I don't know. I, I, to me, it's, it's not so much a case of, I don't know, you put him in, then yeah, like does Devin Hester go in? Does Dante Hall go in? Um, Troy Brown was a damn good special teamer. Does he go in? Was he far and away the best? You know, was he like, did he, and some people say he redefined the position. I, I don't know. I, again, those are the three key words here. I don't know. I don't know if he's the best special teams player of all time because I don't know. I've never really heard necessarily a compelling case from um, somebody without a, a, you know, horse in the race. He also didn't return a lot of kicks and punts. And I think if you're going to be the Michael Jordan of special teams play, you should be playing on all the teams and making the plays and all the different facets of special teams, which might be called one third of the game. But if you break it down by snaps and importance and yardage, it's really not a third of the game. It's more like a fifth or a sixth of the game. That's right. That's right. I was just looking up that stat. I broke that down. I did percentages on that for a story I did on uh, the death of the kickoff a few years back. But that is another point that gets made. uh, And I've discussed this with uh, Hall of Fame selectors is. um, All right. So Steve Tasker was the greatest. Let's just say for the sake of this discussion, Steve Tasker was the uh, greatest uh, special teamer in NFL history. Gunner. We should say Gunner, too. Right, shouldn't we? And he was I'll very even good say at special, blocking kicks. I'll even say special team. Job. I mean, he returned and he re- he do some return. But anyway, uh, so best special teamer. And then the 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 counter is okay. Well, why isn't he good enough to be on the field on downs one through three? Okay, and you could say, well, all right. Which then leads you to the next board point is he's also performing against other guys who aren't good enough to be on the field downs one through three. So is he really the best football player? If you were to put the best from the other team out there on special teams, would he blow up everybody or would he be mitigated while these other guys, you know, you know, if they're not taking a breather. So that's kind of, that's one of the points made by the selectors in that room when the names come up is, you know, are these, these are, these are kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this to, as a metaphor. I'm not saying I'm, please don't think I'm calling Steve Tasker uh, a minor leaguer, but these are like the JV guys going at it, the cannon fodder. So you see the underclassmen playing in high school and college, you know, they're, they're the ones that are out there on special teams. It's a good way to get some experience the to go out there. And when, once you're too important to the team, you get removed from special teams. It should be noted that Steve Tasker doesn't really beat the drum on this. Um, he kind of shies away from this idea that that he should be in this, the Hall of Fame. He, I he did see part- Steve Tasker retweet an account called Steve Tasker Belongs in the Hall of Fame not that long ago. But you're right. He doesn't. Steve I think Tasker Steve does it too for mental reasons. Yeah, he probably I doesn't want to get his hopes up. or It's 
it'd probably be draining year after year. I mean, we saw what it did to Andre Reed seemed like was waiting forever to get in and, you know, seemed to really uh, be very invested in the fact that he wasn't in. And I'm sure that that's just not healthy. Um, I would guess that Steve Tasker might agree with my take here. Maybe he wouldn't say it, but I bet you he would think something along the same lines that there were other players on those 90 bills that belong in the Hall of Fame before Steve Tasker, Cornelius Bennett, Jim Richter, Kent Hall. There were a lot of very good players that aren't in the Hall of Fame and probably aren't Hall of Famers, but they were more important to the specific Bills teams that Steve Tasker played on. So maybe it's hard for him to make his own Hall of Fame case when he knows that he wasn't really the key player in that Super Bowl run. I also find it's another can of worms, but we're, and you know, maybe we get into it a little bit more next week because isn't next week the week or is it the week after that they? Uh, the week is there still a pro there still was a pro bowl week scheduled this year. So yeah, yeah there's still two weeks. So is um, it next week that they pick the, um, the week after. So the week leading up to the, I think it's the day, the, the day, day before, before the Super Bowl the Super or two bowl days before or the Super Friday bowl. or whatever. So we've got time to, uh, fully dive into hall of fame talk on, uh, on future episodes. Maybe we, we get some guests and stuff on, but, but tease us. What were you, what, what were you just going to talk about? I, then we'll I'm disen, I'm disenchanted with hall of fames period. Um, basically all of them, but the pro football one, probably a little bit more than more than most um, because of what I know about the process and then how, how cloak and dagger it can be sometimes how, how it can be. So you don't, uh, if you're not in the room, you don't know, you just don't know. Um, and how weird it can be with, you know, certain guys going to bat for certain guys in certain cities, you know, like it's like their mission to get this guy in because they covered him. Um, I just don't think it's, I don't necessarily agree with us being the ones to say who should be in there or being the only, you know, I think it's a a way too much self-importance and also distorts like we're supposed to cover these guys. Um, I don't know how often I've heard of somebody recusing themselves from a vote. And you think that that should happen a little bit more often. How many people had it? And I'm not going to get into I think all, both of you guys have, have heard me rant about Terrell Owens and his Hall of Fame process, but how many people in there were holding a vendetta against Terrell Owens because he was a jerk to the media? And then the first excuse they all use is that, well, you should hear how his coaches talk about him. I don't think I care. Like, just look at his numbers. And so then it becomes a, just this weird deal. And I think that exposed a lot about how it all, how it all goes down. Um, not to say it's like in like they're in their scheme and, and it's in bad faith. I just think the process is kind of weird. Yeah, but, and there's a there's a bias too that doesn't get um, taken into consideration. For instance, um, I know that there was at least one selector who asked Andre Reed what he thought if Terrell Owens should be a Hall of Famer. Well, the thing with Andre Reed is he had to wait a long time to get in. And Andre Reed is was bitter that he had to wait so long. He hated it. And Andre Reed has a lot of pride. And the idea of anybody getting in on a first ballot, he was going to scoff at. 
And, you know, if I had to wait, then this mf -er can wait. And, to, but to use that as, well, Andre just doesn't think he should get in this year is. Also, what the hell does Andre Reed know? That's kind of my point. Well, what the hell does Andre, how do we know that Andre Reed watched Terrell Owens closely enough to identify that he, whether he well, does or doesn't deserve it? Well, how I'll do push we know back that? on that a little bit. I mean, he played Andre the position. Reed was never an all pro. He played the position, but how many, guys, how many guys do you call up when you're doing stories and you say, hey, this, this, and that, and they're like, God, I don't know. I haven't watched – I don't really well, watch the game it's, anymore. It's even worse because that's the writers who are making the – we're covering our team. I mean, how, especially if, if these players, these guys played in the day before there was the NFL Sunday ticket, you got to see them play three or four times a year if – you were watching if you had a chance to watch the games. Otherwise, I'm only covering I can only see the guys that I cover and their opponents. So yeah. I mean, unless right. it's Tom Brady playing seven preseason or seven primetime games a year, I mean, how much do how much do you get to see? That's kind of my uh, point. How Matthew point? Stafford. Okay, so Matthew Stafford is gonna have a weird Hall of Fame case whenever he retires. And how often do you see Matthew Stafford? You see him play on Thanksgiving. And you see him play, I don't know, whatever, the Thursday night game and when and whenever. I mean, how much of us really have watched Matthew Stafford enough to say what what he really is? Right. And yet uh, and yet sports well, writers are the ones who are in the room. And better yet, and, uh, somebody's gonna ask Jim Kelly, what do you do you think Matt Stafford should be in? No, hell no. And, you know, how many games has he watched? Of That's kind of my point on Andre Reid. Not that he doesn't know wide receivers. Of course he does. But did he follow Terrell Owens' career closely enough to know whether that guy deserves to be in? I mean, is he just going to look at the numbers like we are? Like, because anybody can do that. Um, and, you know, the coaches is a little bit of a different story. Like, you can talk to some scouts and some coaches. Uh, like, oh, man, I freaking hated playing against this guy and game planning against this guy. But when you know that, coach you know is this idea of like oh Terrell Owens you know he coaches all hated him he was a cancer everywhere he went I'm like that makes it even more impressive that he put up all these numbers <laughs> it's like all of his quarterbacks hate him but they couldn't help but throw him the ball I guess you know his coaches hated him but they loved scheming him uh, the ball to get him open you know it's like I don't know that's to me I think the whole thing can get cloudy and distorted and it's like yeah to your point how many of them, uh, not to mention, I mean, you know, and this is sort of another whole point, but, you know, a lot of older white people picking this Hall of Fame, you know, the gatekeepers of the Hall of Fame. Um, it's gotten better in, in recent years, but yeah, to me, I, I almost shrug it off. Um, the hall, You know, people want to get into these big arguments of whether this guy's a Hall of Famer or this guy isn't, but once you, you think about it and you're like, well, it's like, who cares? <laughs> like, I don't know. I know it matters to these guys and it's a big deal and it's a lifetime sure. achievement, but the way it's picked, it's like, to me, I'd be sitting there saying, well, it's totally out of my control. Cause you know, there's so much politics in the process that it just makes it kind of weird. And now there's this show element that's been injected into it over the last couple of years that has, a lot of people upset. I mean, it's being fixed. You know, Tom Flores is is getting into the Hall of Fame, um, but 
the you know announcing winners or telling them on the air that they're getting into the Hall of Fame, Jimmy Johnson and Bill Cower last year, um, because uh, David Baker, the the showman esque um, leader of the Hall of Fame now, um, and there was a lot of belief of if David Baker didn't, you know, what, what's he do? Is he on this? Is he making this presentation? For promote to promote himself or is he doing it you know why are these guys getting special uh announcements and drew pearson is waiting at home wondering if he got in or not or tom flores in fact i, I interviewed tom flores for a story on josh in fact it was a preseason story on josh allen the long ball because tom flores played in the afl he led the afl in yards per attempt and he's known for having you know going deep and uh and um, he was telling me, well, that's how he found out he wasn't getting into the Hall of Fame because these two, these coaches are getting in. They're not going to put me in. And I haven't heard. So I guess that means I'm not in the Hall of Fame. And so now he's getting in this year. But anyways, it's, kind of, it's really bad form to start turning it into this pageant of, you know, hey, look at it. They, they gave Joe, but they put Joe Buck, uh, they gave him the Broadcasters Award on the air this past season to which Troy Aikman said, hey, welcome to the Hall of Fame. No, you're not in the Hall of Fame because broadcasters don't get in the Hall of Fame. You're being given an honor from the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but they made it into, oh, wow, can't, you know, Joe Buck, you're, you're a Hall of Famer now. Because it was a big – But isn't that what a Hall of Fame is? I wonder if maybe we're being a little too sanctimonious because – well, it's there should the be Supreme some decorum Court. in the process because now what's this? This what this is doing is it's showing if they're going to give these guys different um, um, courtesy, then are they getting are they getting in because it can be part of the show? So that's why Tom Flores is sitting there but, with his two Super Bowl with his two Lombardi trophies and his thumb up his ass, but he's not on a TV show, so he they don't go give him an award or else he, he does commercials now though. He'd, well, yeah, because he's getting into the Hall of Fame. Well, but I, and I think Tom Floyd should be in the Hall of Fame. But the show and the entertainment aspect of it, it is a for entertainment purposes and for spectator visits to the Hall of Fame purposes. It's not a mathematical standard of who reaches this Hall of Fame pantheon and who does it. And I think, I think Hall of Fames, when we have these debates, don't always take into proper account the stardom and entertainment value and real fame aspect of this is supposed to be the hall of the famous players that we all remember and are part of the story of the game not necessarily well you know he didn't ever play in a super bowl and he didn't he was three and four in his playoff games but if he was dan marino or you know for just for an example if he was the face of the league at one point well, that's why i've always contended it's a shame that bo jackson can't be in a hall of fame well bo jackson maybe, should be maybe in. the greatest athlete of all time and he can't be in a Hall of Fame because he didn't play long enough. Yeah, I mean, if, if the Pro Football Hall of Fame was like the Basketball Hall of Fame that counted college success, I think Bo Jackson would be in. His overall impact on multiple sports is Hall of Fame level, but didn't quite have the numbers to have that case. I would, I would put Bo Jackson in the Hall of Fame. Which Nobody one? Me. Uh, probably the Football Hall of Fame, but, you know, he could have been a Baseball Hall of Famer if he – played a full career. I don't See, know. That's the a thing that, different. I feel like you can be a little bit more mathematical about it in baseball. But I think that's where, again, where this um, 
So now there's a skepticism of, is the Hall of Fame letting people in for the splash value that they can make a big presentation versus whether or not it met the, it meets the merits of their, what has always been the standard. And yeah, so that's, that's okay, why. Right. What's wrong with that? What's that? What's wrong with that though? The splash factor. If, if the player is worthy of making that splash, or I, I don't know if Joe Buck is worthy of that, but Joe Buck's been calling in for a long time. I mean, I guess. I like well, Joe Buck, I mean, let's eliminate it. I mean, that was a different thing because it's a broadcaster, but you know, the Jimmy Johnson and Bill Cowher thing. Um, I mean, that's okay. So maybe they, maybe they do deserve to get in without that, but adding that element to it while other people are waiting to hear and these guys get special courtesy. I can't think of a better phrase for that, but you know, added consideration because they're on TV well, that makes you wonder, well, what else are they getting because they're on TV? Are they getting in because they're on TV? And the, the, the president of the Hall of Fame can come on TV and, and um, you know, slap them on the back and, and promote the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think it's, anyway. it is what it is. It's, um, I'm glad same. you brought this topic up next week, man. Yeah, I think, it, I think, it, uh, I think there's more uh, meat on the bone. As Sean McDermott likes to say. Yeah, that's how I tied it back in. That's what they call Thanks, a segue man. in professional radio. We are professionals. All right, before we go, let's get predictions. I picked the Bills. 34-27. I'm picking the Chiefs, and I don't know what the score is going to be. Who touched that? 34-27, not 44. Oh, I think I heard – I think I had dyslexic hearing on that. <laughs> I had, I think I was thinking 37, 24. Uh, okay. That's different. What do you think, Jonah? I was going to pick the chiefs to win and then make a joke about getting ketchup and mustard sprayed in my face. I, I see. I see. But I will say this. Why do people get so mad when somebody, you know, if you watch enough television, half the people pick one team, half the people pick the other team. It's part of the show. And then people get so damn offended when somebody Last week was terrible. Says, your team might lose. Last week was terrible. After the game, you had like Josh Allen, Jerry Hughes, Stefan Diggs being like, we see, we saw everybody picking against us. And then you had the team tweeting out like all these pictures and the pictures, it was like half the people are picking the Ravens and half of them are picking the Bills. Like you're in the playoffs. That's what happens. Like it's, it's one 50, of my pet peeves and it's, it's, uh, and I've talked about it before, but when the team does the whole neener, neener, Everybody picked against us. But what about when they pick for you and you lose? Right. Sorry. Do we, do we get an apology? I mean, do we, do you send, do you thank us for believing in you? I mean, what it's all, it's all a, it's all a wanking. Also, but the whole like, ha ha, stick it in your face. And that's where Jonah's going to get charity. He's going to get donations to his charity for pit. You picked against the bills. Yeah, and now people are going to donate to your charity so they can rub your face in it. Do it. That's you. why. I, that's why I picked the Bills. I don't want to end up as a meme, so I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna keep it, keep it steady. Pick the Bills, but the well, last week I was shocked when I heard like, "Oh man, like everybody's picking against us." Blah, blah blah. I'm like, "You were favored in this game. Most people were picking you. A few didn't. You know, so be it. That's gonna happen. You're in the divisional playoffs. <laughs> you know, if everybody's picking you." You're in the final four. Are you going to be mad that some teams are picking the Chiefs? You get to the Super Bowl, some people aren't picking you. I mean, yeah. Why? Don't, why are? Why are you only keeping score after wins? How come you? Let's be honest. Right. Show us. Like, 
Yeah, I want an apology. If I pick okay. the Bills to win and they don't win, I want a F an or, apology. Or what if we flipped it? Remember in Dallas, we were standing outside the locker room and Micah Hyde came running by and screaming, all you guys picked against us. He's screaming into the cameras. We saw it. All you guys picked against us. What if when they lose and we all picked them, we went into the locker room and started screaming, man, <laughs> we all picked you. We all picked you. What are you thinking? <laughs> or, if you we pick them, for us? or if we pick them to lose and they lose. And they lose. And then we go in and we're like, yeah, we picked you to lose. We knew you would lose. <laughs> we knew well, it. And they're always looking for that bulletin board angle that you picked against us and that fired us up to win. It'd be funny if we all picked the Bills to win and then they lose and they got on us and they said, yo, it's your fault. You didn't fire us up. You told us we were good and we need you to pick against us every week or we can't get up for the game. Predictions, man. Fire them into the sun. Don't need them. The, uh, you know, it takes it. A, People always ask, I, what's going to happen in the game? I'm like, I don't know, but whatever does, I'll write about it. I'll write about it I, then. Not a I use this teller. as a lead to one of my stories this year when I was talking about the whole underdog mentality and the fact that it, can the Bills really keep using the underdog mentality when they're favored to win the division, when Tom Brady's gone. And, you know, the whole the anecdote that I used was, you know, that, that one of the recent Super Bowl wins by the Patriots, Tom Brady standing up there with the trophy and the confetti still flittering down about him. And he was like, everybody counted us out. I was like, who the fuck counted you out? You're the New England Patriots. You were, you were favored to win the game, number one, but everybody, like it gets tiresome. Everybody's picking you to win. Oh, hey, nobody believed in us. Like, ooh, what the? Well, LeBron James does that too. He's always like, against all odds, I won this title when nobody <laughs> thought I could possibly do it. Like, everybody thinks you're the best basketball player on the planet and expect you to win pretty much every year. What are you talking about? I think but these guys just need to psych them. Yeah, they need to psych themselves out. Like, especially football. Like, you got to be a special kind of crazy to get between those white lines. You need like something to fire you up. And like, that's what they said last week. We were sitting around watching TV, seeing everybody pick against us, and I, I was just like, man, I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit floored here because guys, all you tell me is that you don't pay attention to the outside noise, <laughs> and right. now you're telling me you're sitting around watching TV in the locker room. But they just need something to charge them up. I had this conversation. Yeah, they're doing. They're like Fairburn's guy. <laughs> they're like, all right, <laughs> taking notes. Matthew Fairburn. Like, let's watch NFL well, Countdown. See who Rex ta- has. He's taking week. the Raven. He's taking the Ravens and the points. Wait, is that picking against us or not? <laughs> yeah, he thinks we're gonna win straight up, but he doesn't <laughs> think we can cover. This guy doesn't think we can cover. <laughs> I remember having this conversation after the Giants game um, in 2019 because I was kind of. I think I was too early on what you were talking about, Tim, the story you did this year of like, can they go from underdog to alpha dog? And after that Giants game, that was kind of my angle. It's like, how are they going to, okay, now they're good. How are they going to deal with nobody believes in us? And I was standing there having a conversation with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer at the same time, because they were, um, you know, we, in locker rooms, you used to be able to do that sort of thing. Uh, I remember and, that. And uh, I remember, you know, one of them saying, Man, we knew we ju- we just knew nobody nobody believed in us. Everybody was picking against us. I'm like, first of all, who's everybody? Like, who's picking the Bills Giants game? Like, are they like pick? Or, you know, it's not like the Super Bowl where you know the primetime shows are picking it. But then I said to him, I was like, you were favored in this game, like by like three and a half points. Like you're on the road. Like you were road favorites. And he's like, man, we don't pay attention to that. I'm like, so what do you what do you pay attention to? I'm a little confused, but. 
more power to him. It, it I wonder if up. Sean, maybe Sean McDermott like doctors some stuff up. Like he <laughs> throws some stuff on the overhead projector and says, look what, look what Mark Gaughan's saying about you in his X's and O's <laughs> That's analysis. what they do. Nick Saban does that at Alabama where I'm, nobody really ever picks against them, but he finds the little nuggets out there and they do presentations on, you know, this is what so-and-so said about you to create the perception that people are picking against you, even if they're not. They're going to be playing this in the locker room before the game. Good. Yeah. Get, if they could get to the end of it, God bless them. <laughs> One thing I found ridiculous last week, how about – this was probably fan only. I don't know if the players went this far, but somebody might have retweeted it, how the Bills were fired up because Marlon Humphrey dissed Buffalo Wings in a tweet. Right. Oh, like, oh, Bills by 100 now. That's not what he said. He was just asking. He was like, yeah, do Buffalo right. Wings have anything to do with the, Buff- the city yeah. of Buffalo? Oh, we'll get that fucker. Yeah. Oh, Bills by a million. Tom Brady doesn't like our Holiday Inn. <laughs> prick. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Bills by a million. I'd love to take that spread someday next time. Somebody. Bills by a million. I'll take the points. <laughs> well, What's your pick, Tim? I'm not saying. I'll tell you when I tell you where I am. Is it going to be uh, in your story? I actually, uh, Channel 4 pays me for my predictions. So I don't want to give it away for Must free nice. here. Must be nice. Must be nice. <laughs> My prediction is behind a paywall, and I just gave it away to TGAF listeners for free. I've tried. I should, I should use that line on the radio now. Everybody, that's every radio hit. Who do you think is going to win? Free, huh? free play. My free play of the week. <laughs> like, I don't we know. give away picks uh, for free all the time. Joel Staniszewski's made a lot of people money. That's true. If they're listening to him, I've tried to stay on that high horse of, well, you know, I'm a journalist. I don't make predictions. Like the Gazette asked me to do that for basketball games years ago. And I said, nope, I won't do it. And then because nobody's really asked me for my prediction since I haven't had to give one, but <laughs> I usually don't make predictions. I could never do that. Cover the bills. And then in a column say, I think the bills are going to win 21 to 10. Like, I feel like that's not covering the team. That's just writing fiction. Yeah. I don't like, I don't, it's, probably my least favorite thing for many reasons. People hate when you pick, when you don't pick the bills, but as Tim pointed out, they never come to you and they're like, man, great pick. When I'm like, Oh, they're going to lose. And they lose. Nobody's like, that was a great pick. And it's like, Uh, yeah, always pick them to win. Or if I win or if I pick them to win and they don't, nobody tells me I'm an idiot. It's just like, I can't, I can't believe you would pick again. Somebody last week tweeted at me that I needed to apologize for saying that the Ravens would be a tough matchup. Like yeah. I needed, I needed to apologize. To who? So like, to who? And you, know you should do, you should donate to Lamar Jackson's charity. And they were, they were a tough matchup. <laughs> so like, I don't really understand. So to Jonah's point, predictions, the worst. I saw and, in the comments under my uh, Bill's Cardinals story, um, I had called, um, I call, I called Kyler Murray small or something like that. I used a word. I mean, I was, it was not like I was referring to his, his, his character. I said he was small and somebody said, what, this is how disrespectful you need to do. You need to correct this. He is not a small quarterback. And I responded, he's the smallest quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, 
relative to other quarterbacks. He is Rel- no relative to everything. He's small. <laughs> There's an objective relative scale. to NFL players. All <laughs> NFL players. He's small. Sorry, Jonah. I'll just say we can actually measure who's bigger and smaller than the other players. It's not a nebulous trait. Right. Is this your apology, Tim? Is that what you're saying? You're apologizing. Yeah. This is this is the best you can do. Yep. I'll, apolo- get I'll on apologize your for that. I'm sorry, Kyler. I'll apologize for that when Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and Trevavious White apologize for letting DeAndre Hopkins catch that football. How about that? Did you pick them to win that day? I think I did. And they let you down. I think I did. They made you look a fool. I don't know if I had them. They were favored in that game, right? Were they favored? It was, they were on the road. I don't remember. I'll look that up. Let's see. Do I'm you sure generally – pick against the Bills because I don't watch this pregame show you do. Do you pick the Bills more often than all these Tim's other people that are wearing the Bills jerseys he picks the Bills and all their the time. faces? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Are you more or less or equal hawkish as the rest of the people on this? Team? I'm less. I'm less. Um, I picked pick the Seahawks to beat them. I picked the Chiefs to beat them. I Tim picked, picked the Bills to defenestrate the Titans, and that didn't happen. And I never got an apology. Never heard. Oh of yeah. Oh, I picked the bills. I said it was going to be a laugher. I said that if that uh, practices will be abolished, if Tennessee wins this game, because they had all the COVID and they hadn't practiced in a week and a half and all that stuff. And I said, everything we've ever been told about coaches and the importance of reps and everything, throw it away. Uh, so therefore the bills are going to win this game. Well, and I, I said, was, it wasn't even going to be close. I'm sorry, I, was bills so by sure. a million. I got no, I got no apology. I was ready to pick UB by a million in the MAC championship game. I didn't even look at the Ball State roster. I was like, not a chance. Nobody can beat this UB team. And then they went and got smacked. So what do I know? How about Kevin Marks coming back? That's a surprise. Well, it's a little surprising, though, the twists and turns it took and the, the bigger name schools that apparently he got interest from in the transfer portal. But he's been here a while and he's got good film. And I think if he's not, at the point where he's going to the NFL, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it was a bad decision. Although I don't know if it would have been a bad decision for him to transfer either. But whatever he really wanted to do, uh, he'll be the good same NFL prospect either way. I think it's good for UB. Well, it's great for UB, and UB's yeah. got another couple of players who were seniors coming back: a safety Tyrone Hill and linebacker Kadofi Wright. That they're got some players coming back that they weren't expecting at least before the season started to, to be coming back. Marks was a player they did expect to come back. All right, let's sign off. This has gone on a long time. Thanks for hanging on with me here, guys. Hall of Fame, me mentioning Clay Matthews while I was in uh, my partial, my partially undisclosed location. How about now, Clay Aiken? I've now Hall given a big hint as to where I am. Not really. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, I have, Matt. <laughs> I've given a very big hint as to where I am. I don't like If you've made it through this whole thing, I actually kind of did say where I was about an hour ago, but um, did? I did. I said, I said, I, I was here for the whole time. I used a very specific phrasing that if you, if you cared where I was, you would have picked up on it. But you already know where I am, so it probably didn't register. 
I talked about something and I said here, mm. which is actually incorrect because I was referring to a place where I'm not. I remember now. Um, it will all be revealed uh, at the athletic uh, when I, my story runs on, uh, I can't, I don't want to say. I'm being, I'm off the being competition. Secret. I'm can't being super secretive like our good friend, Tyler Dunn, who doesn't ever like to let anybody know what he's working on. That's Picking true. up some tips from Tyler. Nobody needs to know what I'm up to. That's right. You know, you know who I'm going to tell? Cause it's like when the Academy Awards are in, you know, you can trust uh, any, with a secret and to make sure everything's on the up and up an accounting firm. One last time, I want to tell everybody about CTBK. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York, where I might be right now. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions. CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, Call 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York, where I may or may not be right now, and beyond where I may or may not be right now. All right, boys. Uh, thanks for this. Um, if we do it again this week, I'll make sure that it's uh, scheduled properly. Thank you for listening or watching TGAF brought to you by CTBK. <laughs>